in the beginning, in the end. We're going to be talking about the tribulation here uh, uh, this morning. We'll be in Matthew chapter 24. Please uh, uh, open your Bibles there and we'll get stuck into that. But here's what I want you to understand here this morning. When one understands future events, it will assist them in making wise decisions today. When one understands future events, it will help them and assist them in making wise decisions today. And so, uh, last week we looked at the rapture, and uh, I've got a timeline here for you, just so you can kind of see where we're at. But you'll notice there's a, uh, a big line there, and so uh, this is where the rapture has already taken place in our, in our study today, and we're going to be looking at the beginning of the tribulation period. And so those who have been called up uh, to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they've been called up, they've been raptured up to heaven before the events that we're going to be discussing here this morning. And so the tribulation period is a time when God will pour out His wrath upon the world. So the church, the bride of Christ, will be safe from God's wrath. And we see this in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, it says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the context of this passage here is the tribulation period. And if you go through and read uh, the context, it's clear that the events that are spoken of here are talking about the day of the Lord, which is the wrath of God. It's a time period in which God will pour out His wrath on the, on the earth. Now, that's not to say that we won't see some foreshadowing of these events happening in our lifetime. But God's wrath upon the earth will take place during the tribulation period. Now, in our account in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is... Uh, ministering there in the temple with his disciples. And, and as they leave the temple, Jesus takes the opportunity to share with his disciples some things that will take place in the future. And maybe you have some of the same questions that the disciples had as well. Maybe you also want to know, hey, Jesus, you know, when are you coming back? What, what, are, what are the signs of you coming? Are we living in the last days? Well, let's jump into Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat in the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Now here we have some studious disciples here. They want to know the information, and so they're, they're asking Jesus questions here. And Jesus never misses an opportunity to have a teaching moment. Here they're in the temple, they're coming out of the temple, and, and Jesus sees an opportunity to teach his disciples. Now you have to understand up until this point that Israel has rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And you will notice there's a change in Matthew as you go and read through the book of Matthew. When you get to Matthew chapter 13, Jesus begins to speak to Israel in parables because they have rejected him is the reason that gives there. They have rejected him as Messiah, so he speaks to them in parables, and so the truth is not plainly told as it was before because of their rejection. It's hidden from them. And although he has fulfilled a number of the Old Testament prophecies, although he has performed many signs and wonders right in front of their eyes, and overwhelming evidence of his messiahship has been overlooked 
and been dismissed, and because of their rejection, they will be judged, they will be scattered, they'll be driven off the land. But from time to time, whenever Jesus speaks to different groups and people, he speaks to them in a way that they don't understand, and sometimes the disciples don't understand either. And so they have to go to Jesus privately and say, Hey, Jesus, I didn't understand what you're talking about. Can you share with us what you meant by that? And here's the, the case here as well, because Jesus is talking about the temple destruction here. And Christ is, is leaving the temple with his disciples, and, and they're probably on the way down the Kidron Valley up into the, the Mount of, of Olives. And, and uh, the disciples here point out the temple and, and probably uh, discussing all the beautiful upgrades that Herod's in the process of making, and they're just sort of sitting back having a colorbond moment, just looking at the temple and all of its beauty. And they're probably shocked to hear the words of Jesus. As they were gloating over the beautiful temple complex, Jesus says, hey, boys, you see all that? You see all those buildings? You see all those things? Not one stone will be left upon another in the future. Now, they probably were taken back, much like uh, those in the U.S. were whenever we had the collapse of the Twin Towers. Whenever the planes came into the side, and, and we see these nice, huge, big, strong towers, and to see them collapse under the weight of each other. There was a design flaw there. We, we never thought that that would ever happen. And chances are, as they're looking at this temple, seeing this magnificent temple, the place of worship, I imagine they probably could never imagine a time when not one stone would be left upon another. I mean, even when we go some ruins and things like that in our world today, some that have been battered by war, we still see fragments at. We still see uh, walls or, or, or uh, uh, different uh, buildings that are still uh, halfway up. Whenever we look at some archaeology here today, to think that not one stone will be built upon another. And he says, all right, when's the timing of this going to happen? So here we have two questions asked by the disciples. When will these things be, which is referring to the temple destruction, and what will be the signs of your coming? and the end of the age. Now, if we knew something catastrophic was going to happen, we'd be asking the same question. Hey, when's it going to take place? When's that going to happen? I mean, if there was uh, somebody said there was going to be an explosion at school here, and there's not, so don't worry. But if there was going to be an explosion here in this building, we would think, okay, when's it going to happen? And the reason for that is because we don't want to be here. We don't want our loved ones being here, so we want to get, get all the information we can so that we can make sure we're far away. And nobody gets hurt. And if we have enough time, maybe we can even come in and maybe stop the explosion. And so we want to know when bad things happen. We want to warn those. Now, Matthew and Mark here, for whatever reason, they don't address the first question. They jump right into the second question. However, Luke does address the first question in Luke chapter 21, verses 20 through 24. And the first question relates to the destruction of the temple, which was actually fulfilled by the Roman invasion destruction in 70 AD. And history confirms the words of Jesus Christ because it happened just as he said. Not one stone was left upon another. And because this has already taken place, I'd really like to focus our attention here this morning on the second question. What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? So let's talk about the signs of the time here. And we'll jump in verse 4 here. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And so one of the things we're going to sign, one of the signs that we see is there will be false messiahs. As we look down through history, we have been, uh, there have been many false prophets. Uh, these are people who are claiming to be the spokesperson for God, and they attempt to lead people away from the truth of God's written word. But here Jesus is speaking of events that will happen in the last days. Though there have been many false prophets, there have been very few that have claimed to be the Messiah. However, during the early part of the tribulation period, many will come claiming to be Messiah. And this opens the door up for the Antichrist. And as we uh, observe Matthew uh, 24, we can see a parallel passages here in Revelation chapter 6. They sort of run side by side. And in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, it says, And I looked, behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, which means he comes in peace. There's no arrows there. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Don't, miss, uh, don't, don't mistake this person here for Christ just because he has a crown. Uh, he is a false Christ. He is a counterfeit. And Matthew tells us that many deceivers will come with the beginning of the tribulation saying, I am Christ, and they will lead many people astray. We will see this at the beginning of the tribulation period. Also, there will be some fighting. There will be some fighting and wars and rumors of wars. Uh, they will hear about the wars afar off and wars on the doorstep here. And Revelation chapter 6 verse 4 speaks of a, a time when, the, when there's an introduction to the red horseman. And in verse 4 it says, And another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it that peace was taken from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. So the first seal reveals a counterfeit Christ. And we know from Scripture that he will come and sign a peace agreement with Israel and, and make a promise of, of a false peace, really. Uh, and then soon it will turn into multiple wars breaking out throughout the globe. Just because the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with Israel doesn't mean that there's going to be peace in the world in the first three and a half years. In fact, Daniel 9, 27 says that he has made peace with many, not all. He has made peace with many. In fact, if you go back to the Hebrew text, it says, the many. And so it seems to be a very specific, uh, specific people that he makes peace with. And in Matthew chapter, and verse 7 here, he describes that there's going to be wars, and nations will rise against nations, and kingdoms will rise against kingdoms. This description depicts multiple struggles that are taking place on various levels, international conflict that will be raging all around the world. And many perceive the first half of the tribulation as a time of peace, but this is really not so. There will be a, maybe a very short time of peace, but look at the red horseman here. What does he do? He will go and take peace from the earth. And the Antichrist will be perceived as a man of peace because of his incredible ability to deceive. But the fact is, he comes in power and he stays in power because of wars, according to Daniel 7, verses 8 and 24. But there's also going to be famines during this time. And Matthew tells us that there will be famines, and, and uh, this is uh, seen as a result of the black horse in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 5, it says, When he opened the third seal, 
I heard the third and living creature saying, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a black horse. And him who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do no harm to the oil and wine. Now, oil and wine were luxury items uh, that were items that were enjoyed by the rich. But wheat and barley, they were the bare necessities. They were the main meal for the poor. And even though the word famine is not used in this passage, it is an apt description, and it is one of the earliest judgments of the tribulation period. The third seal reveals a rider on a black horse, and you'll notice that he has a balance in his hand, and uh, what that indicates clearly is that he will bring famine to the land. Uh, he will control the uh, economy and the food supply. This could involve a scarcity of food and their rationing of food. Also, it also could uh, include a heavy taxation as well. And here we see a denarius is a day's wage. Now, then to do some quick maths here, if you will. Think about how much you make in a year, and then you can divide it out, and I want you to come up with a figure of how much you make in a day. All right, I'll give you 30 seconds, and if you need some more fingers and toes, talk to your neighbor. All right, how much do you make in a day? You got that figure in your mind? Think about that, and that's how much it would cost you to get the daily bare necessities for your family. It will cost you that just for the bare, what you, milk, bread, maybe a bit of rice, and, and maybe some meat. Now, for some of you, maybe your bare necessities is toilet paper and coffee. I don't know. Whatever your bare necessities are. But imagine paying a day's wage for that. There's no money left over for clothing, for heat, for rent, for transportation. Scripture says that this will happen in many places. And we'll see, we see glimpses of this in our world today. We just had the compassion that joined us a few weeks ago. And they were talking about the poverty that they see with, with the children that they minister to. So we see a little bit of this in the world already happening. And it will spread throughout the world. And most likely, it will be the results of the preceding wars. There will also be earthquake and pestilence. In Revelation 6, verse 7, he says, When he opened up the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him. And the power was given uh, to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. Now, here we have the fourth rider of the fourth seal coming on a pale horse. And his name is Death. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what this guy's all about. His name is Death. It's very obvious. And he takes a fourth part of the earth away. Even with COVID-19... That's turned the world upside down. We haven't seen a fourth of the world dying as a result of that. Now, some have asked, are we seeing Revelation 6 with COVID 19 outbreak? Well, no, we, we're not seeing uh, Revelation 19 because COVID is not the beginning of sorrows. It is, uh, is, it is not the birth pains that we're talking about here. Now, it could describe, maybe, maybe described as the Braxton Hicks, if you will. Maybe the, maybe the fake birth pains that may be taking place. Uh, this could be the false labors leading up to the event. 
But when the tribulation starts, the pestilence and the pandemics aren't just going to appear. There's going to be a leading up to those events that will intensify and get worse. And once the tribulation period starts, it will become full-blown, and it will impact a fourth of the world's population. And so we see the foreshadowing of the tribulation, but it's not the tribulation yet. Because there are several things that have to happen before the tribulation begins. Number one is what we spoke of last week. The rapture has to take place first before the tribulation begins. But you also have the ten kings, uh, kingdoms which the Antichrist has to come out of. Uh, you also have the building of the temple because remember the Jews are actually going to be worshiping in the temple during that time. Uh, also, uh, there's going to be a signing of the peace tree by, by the, the Antichrist, and then the Antichrist still has to be revealed. So there's a number of things that still have to take place before we get to the tribulation period. And this sort of co corresponds with the Lord's announcement that there will be pestilence and earthquakes in various places in Matthew. And notice how Luke describes it here. In Luke chapter 21, verse 11, it says, There will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines and pestilence, and there will be a fearful sight of great signs from heaven. I reviewed an earthquake timeline this past week, and uh, I, I discovered some interesting things here. Um, there were 11 earthquakes recorded from the year 1138 until 1879. So that's about uh, 759 years. So there's 11 earthquakes in 759 years. Then in the 1900s, 100 years, there was actually recorded 32 earthquakes in 100 years. And now we're in the year 2000, to this present day, there's actually already recorded 24 earthquakes already in the year 2000. So that's over one, one earthquake a year is taking place in our world. And so we're seeing these things increasing, and we're seeing the foreshadowing of that which is to come, because Luke tells us that these aren't ordinary earthquakes. These are great, or ordinary, or these are, these are great earthquakes that the Lord forecasts. They're huge ones so great that they cause a significant number of deaths worldwide. And after the famine has taken hold, then comes pestilence. They usually go, generally go hand in hand. But it's interesting because Matthew says that this is the beginning of sorrows. The beginning of sorrows. In other words, you haven't seen anything yet. It's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. And Revelation speaks of the death as a result of the beast of the earth. There are three main ideas ways that we can interpret that one some says that uh, this is actual beast on the earth with a famine with the scarcity of food you may have uh, uh, these beasts that may come out and now they start to prey on human beings because of all the scarcity of food others say that maybe this represents cruel kings in the earth and they go and they they go and they kill people they become very cruel and the reason for that is because the word beast here is actually used to actually, actually reference the Antichrist later on as well. So some people say that this may be cruel individuals. But the third, third I found very interesting, and this is more modern uh, scholars actually come, to come up with this idea, is that this may be even tied to pandemics or viruses as a result of the beast of the earth. Now this is called zoonotic diseases. And, and I find it interesting because the number of viruses that have come from animals over the last 30 years are numerous. I mean, we talk about SARS, you talk about AIDS, Ebola, bird flu, and now we're looking at COVID. Scientists estimate that more than six out of every 10 known infectious diseases in people can be spread from animals. 
and about three out of four new or emerging infectious diseases in people come from animals. And according to the, who, uh, the, the World Health Organization, there are over 150 zoonotic diseases worldwide which are transmitted to humans by both wild and domestic animal populations, and 13 of which are responsible for 2.2 million deaths per year. Could this be the wild beast in Matthew chapter 24? That's a possibility. We don't know. With the COVID outbreaks, we can see how easily this could happen. Imagine a world trying to deal with a COVID outbreak, COVID-20, COVID outbreak, on top of all the wars and on top of all the earthquakes and the famine and other pestilence that are taking place in the world. Our world seems to uh, pat itself on the back because it came out with these vaccines very, very rapidly and very, very quickly. But can you imagine all of this other stuff going on in the world? They're not going to have time to be worrying about vaccinations. And we can see how quickly it can spread throughout the world, so much so that a fourth of the world dies in a very short period of time. But there's going to be some, some good news as well. There's going to be some saints that, that uh, may make it through it, but they're going to be persecuted. They're going to be persecuted. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 9, it says, And they will deliver you to the tribulation to kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Notice the timing here. If you look in the very first part of that verse, you have the word then. Matthew uses the word then 90 times in his gospel. It's more than the rest of the New Testament writers combined. The word actually is a demonstrative adverb uh, of time, which is denoting at this time or at that time. So the word then in this verse 9 means simultaneously as the events that are occurring in verses 4 through 8. And so Matthew places the persecution at the beginning of sorrows. There's no sequence here. This persecution is taking place during or at the same time of the beginning of sorrows. And so everything that we just discussed, everything that we just talked about, if that wasn't bad enough, now you can add on persecution. But there will be some tribulation saints. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, it says, When he opened up the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each one of them. And it was said, to them that they, they should rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who, uh, who would be killed as they were was completed. Since our focus is on the Olivet Discourse here in, in this Jerusalem-centered, most likely Jesus is referring to the Jewish persecution here. However, there is no doubt that Christians will receive similar harsh treatment during this time of tribulation, but the focus here of the passage is on the Jewish believer. There will be some who will follow after the Messiah despite the persecution, and as a result of that, they will be put to death. Now, how does this happen? Well, one of the ways it happens is through traitors. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 10, it says, And then many will be offended and will betray one another. And will hate one another. 
These are people who have apostatized. They have fallen away. The word apostasy means you had a position here at one point, and now you've moved from that position, and now you've believed something totally different. They've moved away from that position. They were offended by the gospel, were enticed, were pulled away from that truth in order to believe a lie. And then they pretended to be believers, to get close to true believers so that they can betray them. Soon believers will hate believers because they won't know who is honest and who is not. There's so much deception going on. And look out, notice how Luke describes it here. In Luke chapter 21, verse 16, it says, And you will be betrayed even by parents and by brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Those who you have your closest ties to betrays you. Your own family will give you up in order to be put to death. I mean, for heaven's sakes, if you can't trust grandma, then who can you trust? Seriously. If you can't trust your own family, then who can you trust? They have to live a life in a state of suspicion. Having to be careful what they say and who they talk to. I had some missionary friends who were missionaries in China. And I noticed that they would come back to the States quite often. And I thought it was kind of, you know, a little strange uh, that, you know, it's like, you know, how in the world do you, you keep a ministry going if you're coming back so often? But then having to talk to them, uh, man, the, the oppression that they felt while they were in China was unreal. They felt, you know, everybody was watching them. The government was watching them. They had to be careful what they say and who they talk to to make sure they didn't get out information that would put people in danger. Even in their emails, sometimes they would have to write cryptic messages so just in case they got intercepted. And even we see that uh, recently, whenever the, the COVID first came out, there was people in China wanting to speak out about it, and now all of a sudden they've disappeared, they're gone. And so they were felt the, the oppression there. And so in order to deal with that, they had to come home and be with their family for a while, get loved on for a while, and then you know, just breathe that, 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 that free air. And then they went back into China once again. You see, many who profess to have faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah uh, in, in earlier times, when it was easier, will end up denying him and betraying those who were true believers in Christ. They, they, they may do this because they are deceived or maybe they get some, some gain or benefit from it. Remember, it's going to be a very tough time. Or maybe they betray others because their own life is at risk. And just a, uh, a side note, in the future, we're going to have a judgment of the nations. And the judgment of the nations, for, for those individuals to go into the kingdom, will be based on how they treated the Jewish people at this time. And so this is important. The, Jew, the Gentiles uh, will be judged according to the way they treated Jewish believers, and only genuine believers will be willing to risk their lives in order to help the Jewish remnant. Now, while this speaks of persecution of the believers, especially the Jewish believers, during the first half of the tribulation, the entire seven-year tribulation is going to be a time of persecution. The external hatred from the world puts those uh, who profess the name of Jesus Christ under pressure. And this produces internal hatred among those professed Christians, even in the commu Christian communities, because they don't know who to trust. I'm not a history buff, per se, but there's some things in history that I find quite interesting. Nazi uh, Germany, I've got uh, to readings about that. And uh, if you know anything about Germany, man, they, they, they take copious notes on people. 
uh, they, they went around and they have spies and they, they spy on people and they collect all this data on people, maybe to use it to their advantage sometime in the future. Um, and, and so whenever the war was happening, it was coming down to the end of the war, they had all these documents that would um, uh, basically uh, prove people's guilt. And so what they try to do is take it and they try to shred everything. And so they were shredding as much documentation as they possibly could until the shredders actually broke and broke down. And so then they had these big pots of water that they threw uh, their paperwork in and they stirred it up to try to, to make pulp out of it. Some of them actually set some things on fire as well. But then at the end of the war, they ended up with uh, 16,000 mail sacks that contained about 45 million individual pages and about 600 million scraps of paper. And, uh, and, and then they went and hired some people called the Puzzlers. And you see uh, some photographs of them there. And uh, their Puzzlers, their job was to actually take those pieces of scrap paper, have a look at it, look at the color, uh, look at the, 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 the edges, and, and then try to go and find another piece and match them up and then take a, a piece of tape and stick it on there. Can you imagine yeah, uh, the job doing that? And so far, they've got through about 440 stacks in the process. And uh, it's estimated at this, process, at, the, at this rate, it'll take about 500 years to process all the paperwork. One puzzler wrote, she said, however many documents I pieced together, it will never cease to amaze me and shock me the extent to which friends, colleagues, and even husbands and wives went to in order to betray each other. And it shows you what a poison regime it was. It talked about, if you go and look at the, some of the documents, it talked about this guy who, who claimed to be an uncle. And he went to one of the families and, and he says, oh yeah, I'm in town and, and I just wanted to come by and see you and visit with you. I don't have really a place to stay. Oh, come in, come in. You can stay with us. And so while he was there, he was keeping an eye on everything. He was writing because that, he was actually working for the secret police. And then you can actually go in and see the documents where he actually sketched out the house. So they, they knew where every person stayed in the house. And even in the child's bedroom, he even drew it out, even with the teddy bears and everything, so they knew exactly where everybody was. He would keep track of the conversation. He would go through their mail. He would follow them to find out where they were going. And he would actually go back to the secret police and reveal all the information. And now that these uh, articles and these documents have come to light, they look at that and they said, how could he do that? We took him in, we fed him, and, and we clothed him, and, and we, we gave him a place to say, how could he do that? He was family. Now they have an e-puzzler, which can scan many fragments at a time and digitize them and piece them all together. And so many family members are devastated knowing the truth that those who they trusted was really a Nazi spy, but some of them actually want this information to come out because they were wrongly charged and they want to clear their, the criminal record. And so they're looking for these things to, to come and help them with that. A theological professor was spying on students and colleagues in his university. You can see, can you, can you imagine the deception that went on during this time? Well, this is what it's going to be like in the tribulation. You won't know who to trust, and so believers may find themselves isolated. But also there's going to be satanic prophets as well. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 11, it says that many of the false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will, will abound, the love of many will grow cold. There'll be false prophets. It's not the same thing as false teachers. 
The term false prophet reinforces our understanding of this, the, the Jewish orientation of this passage. False prophets were Israel's problem. False teachers were the church's problem. And evil spirits will possess these false prophets and they will come at the end of the Jewish age. And if you remember the time of King Ahab, the Lord permitted lying spirits to take possession of false prophets in 2 Chronicles 18. This will take place on a grander scale during the tribulation period. Many false prophets will go out and deceive many. And there will be an increase in lawlessness as well. The word lawlessness carries with it the idea of deliberately disobeying a specific standard. In the context here, they, they have deliberately disobeyed God's standard and chose to disobey. And it will be complete anarchy. If you look at our world today or in times past, there's no lawlessness that, that even comes close to this. We have seen riots and looting and malicious damage of property, but we haven't seen anything yet. This is a time when lawlessness, lawlessness will reach its highest level in all human history. And love will grow cold. The expression itself is apparent, a loss of love for one another. In essence, to, to see the cause and effects here, I want you to see this between lawlessness and the loss of love. Real love is impossible for a lawless person because they're motivated by personal and selfish concerns. They have no regard for others, nor for the rules that govern our actions as we communicate and as we live with one another. So as lawlessness increases, we will find that love decreases. But there is salvation for those that persist. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, it says, But those that endure to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Here we're going to have some that are truly saved. They didn't apostatize. They stayed true to their calling in Christ, and they kept the faith to the end through the tribulation, and they will be saved. The word saved here isn't referring to salvation as we think of as a church age, but rather it's a physical deliverance or rescue. It refers to the Jewish remnant who, when they endure to the end, they will physically be rescued by Christ at His second advent, and they will go into the millennial kingdom in their mortal bodies. God will save them, but the end is not yet. We are only halfway through the tribulation. But this is an encouragement for those that are following Christ through the first part of the tribulation to hang in there, to stay in there. Don't give up. Don't apostatize. Help is on the way. Jesus is going to come and you will be rescued. And we'll see worldwide evangelism happen as well. The gospel will be preached to the world. What is this gospel? Well, the gospel means the good news. And the good news is that Jesus is coming to set up his kingdom. It is the gospel of the kingdom. Entrance into the coming kingdom was based on repentance while following Christ and how they treated the Jews. And that was the gospel of the kingdom. We see both John the Baptist and Jesus both preach, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Even up to the point of the tribulation, God is still concerned for people. And gives them a chance to repent. In Revelation chapter 14 verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. Having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. To every nation, tribe, tongue and people. Saying with a loud voice. Fear God and give, him, give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who have made heaven and earth. And sea and springs of water. 
How will they know? Well, God's not only going to use his witnesses, but also his angels to get the word out. This evangelistic outreach occurs right in the middle of the tribulation. Why? Because during this time, the Antichrist will start to gain power and he will, be, have his, he will put himself in a position where he was wanting to be worshipped. We're about to see this happen. The mark of the beast will start to take place where you have to get, get the mark of the beast in the right hand or on your forehead in order to buy and sell. These things are about to take place. The receiver of the mark of the beast will not receive it by accident. The receiver fully gives their devotion and worship to the Antichrist. And once you receive the mark of the beast, there is no going back. There is no hope of salvation once that decision has been made. So God puts on an evangelistic campaign, campaign that will blow your mind. And he has 144,000 Jewish witnesses. He has two witnesses that are given special ability. And when, then he has the angelic witnesses that will also preach the, the kingdom. For those who genuinely have a desire to follow after Christ, this is their opportunity. But for those that reject, they will be prepared for judgment because judgment has come. Now this brings us to the end of the tribulation period, the first three and a half years. And at this point, at least a fourth of the world's population has perished. I mean, let's just estimate that once the uh, rapture happens, there's four billion people still left on the earth. That's one billion people that have perished, and we're only halfway through the tribulation. Next is the great tribulation, and things will only intensify before Christ returns. So trust me, you don't want to be here for this, but it is your decision. It is your decision. As the musicians come... You can choose to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and be raptured up before these events of the tribulation take place or you can be left behind and endure God's wrath and hope you don't fall away and make it to the end. We have a choice. We talked about last week. You get right or get left. That choice is yours. Don't think for one minute that it's going to be easier to follow Christ during the tribulation than it is now. Some want to wait and see if all, if, if all is, is correct and make sure that everything is right before they go and commit to following Christ. And if you're not willing to accept Jesus Christ while you have the freedom to do so today, it is highly unlikely that you will follow Christ when you may lose your life for doing so. There will be a strong delusion and chances are you will believe a lie. But here's the good news. I know it's been a heavy message, but here's the good news. Jesus came to save you from the wrath to come. He came to save you from the wrath to come. And if you would like more information on how you can come and know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can speak to myself or any of the staff. Or you can fill out a connection card, let us know that you're, you have a desire to be saved. And someone will set up an appointment with you and show you how you can be saved. But go back to the principle we have here this morning. When one understands future events, it will assist them in making wise decisions today. A wise decision would be to follow Christ. Let me encourage you to do that here this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. 
And Lord, we thank you that you haven't uh, left us stranded, Lord, that you've given us a glimpse of what's going to happen in the future, Lord. But also, Lord, you provided a way of escape as well. And Lord, I pray that we'll be willing to trust you as Lord and Savior. Lord, if, if there's some here that doesn't know you, I pray they'll make that decision today. Because as we talked about last week, Lord, you can come back at any moment. There are no signs for the rapture, Lord. It can happen today. And Lord, we want to be prepared and we'll be ready for that. And so, Lord, I pray that we'll use this message here to encourage others, Lord, that may not know Christ to make that decision for you. And we thank you in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.